Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United WeCast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. So, despite this being the NBA offseason, the topics that need addressing seem to be piling up pretty quickly. As promised, I'm going to address Joel Embiid's recent comments about wanting to win a championship in Philadelphia or somewhere else, but that almost seems so long ago already, even though it was just last week, that I'm also going to address some recent comments by Tracy McGrady about being comparable at one point in his career to Kobe Bryant. But let's start with Joel, and to do that, we have to set the stage. For those who may not be fully aware, because after all, it is the offseason and it's a slow part of the sports calendar. So I get the sense that a lot of people are spending their summers, at least in the Western Hemisphere, spending their summers doing other things and paying attention to sports. But when it comes to Joel Embiid and his comments, to set the stage, we have to start with him literally being on stage with Maverick Carter, LeBron James' business partner for a live audience interview at the Uninterrupted Film Festival. The interview was primarily a promo for Joel launching a media studio in conjunction with LeBron, but Maverick asked him a few basketball questions as well, not surprisingly. And one of them was, what can we look forward to from Joel Embiid? And his answer, I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. I just want to accomplish that. I just want to see what that feels like. It takes more than one, two, three guys. You got to have good people around you. I work hard every single day to be at that level. He said a few more things, but that is the gist and the essence of what he said. Now, Not surprisingly, the reaction in Philadelphia, as well as a lot of other places, 
but especially Philly, was pretty swift. Was Joel Embiid suggesting he was ready and willing to pursue his championship hopes somewhere other than the city of brotherly love? Was the process, Embiid's nickname in part because he's the lone dividend from the three-plus years of purposeful losing and tearing down of the Sixers roster by former GM Sam Hinkie that came to be known as the process. And that happened after Hinkie referred to what he was doing as such. Was Embiid in his interview with Maverick suggesting that the process if it wasn't over when Hinky was fired after three seasons in which the 76ers lost 199 of 246 games, which is a winning percentage of 0.19, if it wasn't ended then, that it was now ending or soon would be because Embiid was going to leave Philly, that's what had to have everyone shook, particularly 76ers fans. Now, for those who may not be completely familiar with what Hinky did, other than losing 199 of 246 games, he was a master at gathering draft picks, both second and first rounders. What he did with them wasn't quite as masterful. Embiid, Nerlens Noel, Michael Carter-Williams, Dario Saric, Jaleel Okafor, and Ben Simmons were all lottery picks that Hinky ended up with. He actually technically drafted Alfred Payton and then flipped that for Dario Saric, but you get my point. It all started when he traded away Drew Holiday, the point guard who ended up winning a championship with Milwaukee. When he traded Drew away for two first-round picks that proved to be Nerlens Noel and Alfred Payton. Uh, as I said, the latter which he flipped for Saric and another first-round pick. And like I also said, he was masterful in collecting first-round picks. By my count, he acquired an additional seven of them in his short tenure and nearly as many second-round picks. The second-round picks were a little tougher to track, and so I didn't, I didn't do the extra legwork for that. My apologies. The point is, Embiid is the only one of those first round picks that panned out for the Sixers. For all the Philly fans who defended Hinky's methods as cutting edge, particularly against people like me who pointed out its flaws, Embiid has been a beacon in the darkness, a savior, if you will, from having to eat a whole flock of crows, especially after winning MVP this season. Embiid, need I remind you, was at the top of my MVP ballot. That's a reminder for any of the Philly or 76ers fans who might be listening who believe I have a vendetta against Embiid or their organization. I do not. I just have to call them the way that I see them. And the reality is, even at this point, while Embiid did win MVP, it doesn't really justify those damn near 200 losses in three seasons. Because the whole point of being purposefully bad for that long is that the payoff was going to be winning a championship or at the very, very least competing for one. And that hasn't, done, that hasn't happened. The Sixers haven't done that since the odd coupling of Allen Iverson and Larry Brown 
which led them to the 2001 finals where they lost to the Lakers in five games. A high watermark that they quickly receded from. Now, there have been some stubborn 76ers fans who insist that Hinky is still responsible for everything that the Sixers have done since his tenure. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Uh, not giving a whole lot of credit to the work of the three subsequent GMs that uh, have followed him. But okay, we'll play that game. The Sixers went to the second round of the playoffs right before Hinky took over. That was not supposed to be good enough. That was almost purgatory. That the best they could do, that's as far as they could go. It would be better to lose and lose a lot and then climb that mountain and get all the way to the top. Any guesses on the furthest they've gone in the, in the 11 years since? Yeah, the second round. That's it. Now, granted, they've done that five times. They have been a very good team for a relatively long stretch. They're just not what the process was supposed to deliver. And if we're really honest with ourselves, it wasn't the process that built the team that we see now outside of Joel Embiid. The comments by Embiid the other day are why no one should believe it or he, Embiid, are ever going to deliver on that promise either. Because after he was called out for appearing to waver on his commitment to winning a ring in Philly, he responded by pointing to his self-ascribed middle name on Twitter, Troel, or Troll. His real middle name is Hans, by the way, but he was basically saying that he was just joking when he made the comment, that he was just trying to provoke a reaction, that he wasn't serious. I'll let you look up the video of the clip and listen to it yourself and decide if he was joking. The fact that he suggested a few months ago that the Sixers didn't have enough players fully committed to winning and he was clearly not trolling at that time, at least he didn't tell us he was, and then he brought up that same theme in this interview with Maverick, makes it hard to swallow that this was just good old fun-loving prankster Joel wanting to get a rise out of anyone listening. But let's say he was joking. It's not the free get-out-of-jail card he thinks it is. Not 
for someone who wants to lead his team to a championship. Because, see, you can't be a troll and lead a team to a championship. Class clowns are entertaining, but they aren't leaders. They don't win titles. A troll says things just to say things. Anyone who acknowledges himself as a troll is saying, you can't believe everything I say. And the problem with that is that the word of a leader, a true leader, has to be beyond reproach. If a leader says, this is what we need to do, or this is what I'm willing to do, or this is what I need you to do, his team has to buy in completely and without any reservation that that's what's going to happen. When someone is a jokester, especially something about something like where he wants to win a championship, he can't be trusted. He can't be believed. So when his team is down by nine with less than a minute left to play and says, hey, we can still win this thing. I'm sure his teammates want to believe that. But somewhere deep down, some of them have to be thinking, he's saying that just to say it. And that can be the difference between a team that comes back from nine down and one that doesn't. Everyone has to believe in the leader as well as in the task at hand being achievable. I know in this day and age with the infatuation with analytics that there's this belief that winning is a mathematical equation. Put together the right mix of scorers and rebounders and defenders and three-point shooters to achieve a certain efficiency and voila, you have a championship winning team. It's as much a lie as you can spend three years losing at an 81% clip purposely and then turn around and build a winning culture. I've spent 30 years covering sports, talking to players and coaches and scouts and GMs and owners and just about anybody who had had any familiarity with what it takes to win a championship. Anybody who had experienced that, been part of it. And I've watched up close year after year studying what creates that little edge just in case experiencing it themselves didn't quite give them the full picture of what it took. So looking from a front row seat, I've watched because I'm fascinated by it. I want to know how does one team find that little bit of extra? How does one team that on paper doesn't look as talented as the other team end up winning, end up winning it all? I've watched this year after year to see what makes one great team just a little bit better than another great team. And one of the indispensable elements is that everybody on the team is honest. I know that sounds weird, but they have to be honest. I've never known, I've never been around a championship team that wasn't honest with each other and themselves. Honest about how they're playing. Not judging by the scoreboard, not judging by their record. Honest about really what was their level of play. Were they playing to their best? Honest about how they wanted to play. Honest about whatever may be troubling them. When something came up, not brushing it aside, not pretending, not lying that there wasn't a problem. You saw the Warriors try to deal with that this season. They, they confronted it. They admitted it. They were honest about it. It didn't help them solve it, 
But they knew that that had to be part of the equation if they were going to. Everybody has to be honest about what their roles are, honest about what their goals are, honest about how they feel about each other. They don't have to like each other, but they have to respect each other enough to tell each other the truth. And not to go astray here, but that's one big reason why the Warriors had to move on from Jordan Poole. I don't think it was the turnovers and the crazy shots and the lack of defense. As much as it was, he couldn't be honest about where he stood with Draymond. He would say that he'd moved on, but his actions would say otherwise. He clearly hasn't. Whether you like what Draymond did or not, he was honest about why he did it. He was honest about how it affected the team and honest about how it affected his ability to be a leader. We all know exactly how Draymond feels about the entire incident before, when it happened, and after. We can only guess at where Jordan's head is at. And I get the sense that we weren't or we aren't alone, that the Warriors could only guess as well. And they just got tired of guessing. Now, Joel Embiid can be a troll. He can be a jokester. And honestly, I still believe he can be a champion. He's that talented. But he can't be both. He can keep doing what he's doing. He just has to know that he and the Sixers are going to keep getting what they've been getting. All right. On to Tracy McGrady. He appears to be making his rounds on the media circuit. I've, man, I've, I haven't seen him in this many interviews uh, in this short a time span since he was playing. And I assume it's to promote his ones basketball league, a nationwide one-on-one tournament that is entering its second year, if I read the website correctly. Now, along the way, of course, the conversations with him, much as it was with Embiid, have veered into his career, his playing career. And at some juncture, I believe my former Bleacher Report colleague Howard Beck was talking to him or interviewing him and did a piece, and McGrady talked about how it one point in his career, he and Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, were considered to be equally talented. Kobe was also quoted at one point as saying that T-Mac was the hardest player for him to guard because he was everything Kobe was uh, skill-wise, but only several inches taller and longer. And I can confirm all of that, having watched their entire careers including when they intertwined in that period mentioned when they seemed to be equally talented. Now, while I would never concede that T-Mac was more talented, as some have suggested, I would say that he was more gifted. What he wasn't, however, was as dedicated or as disciplined. Not by a long shot. It's one of the reasons why We think of his career as being marred by injury, but we don't think the same of Kobe's. Even though Kobe suffers as many or more significant injuries as McGrady. The difference is, Kobe figured out ways to execute and compete and win despite those injuries. He attacked rehab the way he attacked a game. He had a warrior mentality. Tracy was legendary for not being good about rehab. 
He did not have a warrior mentality. He wasn't killing himself in rehab in order to get back on the floor or get back physically to where he was. And as a result, his injuries were compounded. He did not train particularly hard. He leaned on his natural gifts and athleticism, which is why you can miss me with the if only he had been healthier alibis for McGrady never sniffing a championship, never actually winning a playoff series in nine trips to the postseason. It's why you can also miss me with McGrady could have replaced Kobe on those Lakers championship teams and they would have managed the same three-peat. The hell they would have. Winning one championship and coming back to contend for a second in a row is a grind that few players can handle without breaking down, even the ones that are better at conditioning themselves than McGrady was. McGrady never played deep into the postseason and yet was a physical wreck by the age of 27 when most players are entering their prime. That wasn't bad luck. That was a lack of consistency when it came to taking care of himself physically. He was simply not committed to doing the work necessary to get his body right, especially after an injury. Can you imagine him having to play 304 games in the span of three seasons, which is what the Lakers did when they three-peated? Can you imagine him playing 89% of those games, as Kobe did. Not a chance in hell. McGrady had the same approach to conditioning as Shaq did, which would have been a nightmare combo as the leaders of the team. I'm not sure the Lakers, despite their talent, would have won one ring, much less three in a row. So, for anyone out there who only has seen highlights of McGrady and read his year-to-year -year stats and heard the comments by McGrady and Kobe and saw that he was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame and has extrapolated from all that that T-Mac and Kobe were comparable as players or that T-Mac could have done what Kobe did if only he'd been lucky enough to have the Lakers go get him to pair with Shaq. For all those who believe any of that, wake the bleep up. For all of T-Mac's talent, he couldn't have been for the Lakers with Shaq what Kobe was. And he certainly couldn't have won the two rings Kobe won with Pau Gasol. Celebrate T-Mac all you want. Just don't insult the memory or accomplishments of Kobe Bean Bryant by ever suggesting that Tracy McGrady was his hard luck equal. I was there. I saw it all. He was not. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, it might be time to address the Boston Celtics now that they have re-signed Jalen Brown to a contract, max contract worth more than $300 million and presumably are going to do the same for Jason Tatum when he becomes eligible for the same a year from now. Where that takes them, the possibilities of the Celtics winning a championship with those two, and if 
that's really the end game here in signing them to this con- to these contracts that it's all about trying to win a championship with those two we'll discuss all of that in the next podcast unless something extraordinary comes along and we have to talk about that instead in the meantime as always thanks for listening